Good morning, friends. It is uh, good to be with you guys this morning. I know Ryan already said something, but if you are visiting with us, first time ever, first time in a long time, you are our very special welcomed guest. We are so glad uh, that you're here. Shoot, even if you've been here for a thousand Sundays in a row, you are still welcome here, and we are glad uh, that you're with us as well. I'm going to let you in on a little secret if you're new to this place. It's not going to be a secret for much longer, though, and it's that God is on the move in this church. He's waking it up, and he's about to redo something amazing in this place. So we're glad that you're with us. I'm so excited for the next couple of weeks. I can't wait for August 17th to share with you kind of the vision that I have for this church for the next school year. I can't wait for the 24th for our ministry fair to see what God is doing and stirring in the hearts of our people. Can't wait on that day to, to share with you the sermon series for the fall that we have planned for you guys. Some amazing things are coming, and we want and need you to be a part of it. So... Again, if you're here for the first time, we hope you'll come back. And if you would, Forrest, in your bulletin, there's just a little sheet. Put your information on there. I would love to reach out to you personally. Thank you for coming, share a little word with you, pray for you in any way that I can. And if nothing else, just turn that into the station at the front. You get a free cup of coffee. All right, so uh, there, there's a lot of benefits for doing that. Uh, the last few weeks, I've asked you to publicly recognize a few different groups of folks who I think we needed to praise and just show our appreciation to a few weeks ago, I asked you to, to recognize and pray for and thank the group that filled this pulpit for the last nine months as this church was without a senior pastor. So thank you guys for doing that. Last week, I asked you to thank an incredible group of people, the staff of this church, those who have kept this thing going through the good times and the bad. And this week, I want to ask you to thank another group. I don't know if this is a saving the best to last or just a saving the oldest to last, but I want to thank the elders uh, of our church this morning. These men have served in incredible ways. Uh, currently, we have Jeff Anderson, LaRue Boyd, Brad Brady, Rich Callahan, Brad Colby, and Bob, Bob Fugler. And over the last couple years, we've had uh, Jeff Graham, or I'm sorry, uh, is it Jeff? Yes, Jeff Graham, I believe, uh, Mark Kirsting, Kelly Krause, and Brian Rickman. Uh, gentlemen, if you are here, would you just stand so we can thank and recognize you all? I know it's uncomfortable, but... I see Bob, LaRue, thank you all so much. These men, I, I know from, from experience over the last couple months, they have spent countless hours praying for this church, fighting for this church. They've had to make very hard decisions for this church, and thus they've experienced tremendous uh, spiritual opposition, but they have remained so steadfast and so focused on Christ, and I think you all have made us see Christ in an even greater way through your efforts. So thank you all so much. Let me pray for them and, uh, and then pray for our morning together. God, we thank you for, for who you are. Thank you for Rebecca this morning kind of introducing us to the fact that no matter who we think you are, you are infinitely greater than that still. Thank you for men who are able to remind us of that. Thank you for men who are able to lead us closer into your infinite greatness and goodness. Thank you for those who exemplify Christ to us. We thank you for our elders now. We thank you for men who have withstood the test of time, whose faith has been tried and tested, and yet who now are stronger as a result. Thank you for them being courageous. Thank you for them being creative. Thank you for who they are and all they've done for this church. Would these men see now the fruit of years of toil, years of labor? Would they now be excited about what you are doing through this church? Thank you again for who these men have been for us, what they have done, the things we have seen, and especially the things we have not. And now this morning, God, we ask that you would meet us in this place. We come to experience you, to encounter you, to be changed by you. Would you, as you did in Pentecost, speak to every single one of us 
in a way that we can relate to, connect with, and be changed by. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're currently in the middle of a four-week series entitled God Is. And the basic gist of this series is this. It is critically important that we come to understand who God is. And the reason for that is because we have been made in his image. And thus, whoever and whatever God is, is who we will become. His characteristics, his traits will inevitably become ours. And so we need to make sure we understand who he is. And so far in this series, we have seen two things. First, we've seen that God is a ludicrous lover. That the first nature of God, the most important nature of God, the groundwork, the framework, whatever you want to call it, the foundation of God is that he loves us with a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever, incredible, ludicrous love. Amen? That is who he is. That's what he does best. It's a love you can't fully explain. You can't make sense of it. No matter how bad you've messed things up, the love is still available to you. And then last week, we learned that God is the sovereign speaking one, that out of his love, he talks to us. He doesn't just sit in the corner, distant and calloused and cold and quiet, but instead, he shares his heart with us. He invites us into who he is and what he's doing. He speaks. And this God who speaks because he's all-powerful, when he speaks, he creates things. When he speaks, he commands things. And when he speaks, he calls things. And I apologize, speaking of speaking, last week, I think I spoke a little fast. A few people said, son, you're going to have to slow it down just a little bit for me. So we have John working on kind of a three-quarter speed recording of the sermon. So just go online. It can be a little slower. But I just get a little amped up about this God, and I hope that you do as well. My apologies if you haven't heard but every third word or so. But this morning, in my excitement, I can't wait to share with you the third trait of God that I think has a profound impact on who we are. To do so, I need to talk to you about, of all things, water parks. Now, I don't know what the general consensus or feeling is out here in Colorado towards water parks, but I typically view water parks as a form of torture, just slightly above branding. Then it's like water parks. Thousands of hot, sweaty strangers swimming in close proximity to one another in small enclosed spaces just doesn't do it for me. That's you? Great. Just don't invite me to go with you. And yet, we've all been... We all know what the water park is like, and most of us actually love the water park. And most of us actually have one of those bad water park experiences, don't we? Oh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. One of those moments when something nasty goes floating by you in the lazy river. <laughs> that moment you go down the bullet slide and your board shorts turn to Speedo. Bad water park experiences. Well, one day I'm at the beach water park in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Now, it's no wet and wild. I, I, it's a little bit more than a pond or, or a puddle for those in New Mexico. But hey, we're in the desert. We love any sort of water. And so we go to the beach water park. Well, on this particular day, I decided to go into the wave pool. All right, you know what the wave pool is. It's this thing where every 15 minutes or so, a hideous horn sounds People start screaming in excitement. Giant boards slam against a chain-link fence, creating what people in the desert called waves. So I decided for some unknown reason to jump in to this wave pool. 
Well, on this particular day, I thought I was going to die. Now, granted, I'm a pretty strong swimmer. I had a swimming pool in my backyard growing up, so I could handle my own when it came to the water. But somehow, as the waves began to crash, as people began to bounce and float, I went under. And as I tried to make my way back up, all I could see were these hideous yellow tubes with large people's behinds sticking awkwardly out of them. And I kid you not, I looked up, there was not a gap or a space at all. Hundreds of yellow tubes. I could not press my way up, and I didn't want to just start grabbing for things. (laughs) Sorry, bad. But I honestly thought in that moment, are you kidding me? This is how I'm going to go out? This is the last thing I'm going to see on this glorious earth? And then suddenly, I kid you not, this beast of a man with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. I don't know where he grabbed me, but he did. And he yanks me up out. I'm laying on his lap, gasping for air. And he says, dude, are you all right? I am now, brother. I am now. And even though that happened years ago, Man, I remember that feeling like it was yesterday. I will never forget that moment. I'll never forget that sensation. I'll never forget my need. It was the need to be saved, the need to be rescued, the need to be delivered from the wave pool of death. And chances are you know that feeling. I pray to God it's not the same feeling of yellow tubes suffocating you under the wave pool, but you probably know the feeling for deliverance. Maybe it's an illness, toxic relationship, dead-end job, a near-death experience, an addiction, a mental illness, most of us know exactly what it feels like to be stuck, to be trapped, to be consumed, to be enslaved, don't we? We know what it feels like to not be able to get out of whatever it might be. How many of you have ever read the book or seen the book Post Secret? Here's a picture of it for you. I've got a copy in my office. Come by this week and I'll show you. It's an odd little book. A guy by the name of Frank Warren had an idea for an art project several years ago. So what he did is he put a bunch of blank, self-addressed postcards all over the city, all over Chicago, hundreds of them on park benches throughout the city. And he simply put a sign next to it saying, tell me your deepest, darkest secret. Keep it anonymous and mail it back to me. And lo and behold, thousands and thousands of people did. Some drew pictures, some wrote out testimonies, some took pictures. It's an incredible thing. Let me share with you a couple of the ones that are on there. This one says this. Thought the sex would free me of the hurt that I felt when he cheated. Well, now I feel worse. And now I'm the dirty little secret. Another one says this. My two-year-old little girl imitates the sounds I make throwing up everything I eat. Another one says this. When I was little, I had epilepsy. I think I'm having seizures again, but I'm too scared to tell anybody. Another one says this. I'm jealous of religious people because I wish that I could believe like them. It's not a real feel-good type of read, but it's a powerful read. And I think what this book shows me, what all these responses show me, is this. Sin is wreaking havoc in our world. Sin is wreaking havoc in our lives. People are trapped. People are enslaved. People are imprisoned by so many things. And that's why the gospel is good news. 
That's why Jesus comes to share good news, because here's the news. The God who loves you, the God who spoke you into being on purpose, that God wants to rescue you. He wants to free you. He wants to deliver you. He created you for this abundant life, this life lived in love. And anything that's going to take that life away, anything that's going to stop you from imitating and experiencing that love, he wants to destroy it. He wants it out of your way and out of your life. And here's the thing. He's actually powerful enough to do it. That brings us to the third trait of God. Our God is a determined deliverer. Try to say that five times fast. I struggled all week with the exact wording here. There's so many great D words to choose from. He's a deliberate deliverer, a dedicated deliverer. I think, I think Dave walked by the office and I sound like I was stuttering. God is the day, 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 day. But whatever word you choose, the truth is always the same. Our God is a God who saves. Our God is a God who rescues. Our God is a God who frees. Our God is a God who delivers. Think about the concept of deliverance with me just for a second. It's throughout all of the scripture. This story is the story behind every other story. Noah and his family are delivered from the flood. Lot and his family, minus a salty wife, are delivered from Sodom and Gomorrah. Joseph and his family are delivered from the famine. The Israelites are continually delivered through the judges. God's people are delivered in battle time and time and time again when they're outmanned and outnumbered. Sorry, here I go again. Deliverance. David's delivered from Saul. Saul's delivered from David. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are delivered from a fiery furnace. Daniel's delivered from the mouth of a lion. Are you getting the hint here? Are you picking up on the theme? Deliverance is at the heart of all of Scripture. It's one of the foundations of the entire Bible. All other truths seem to exist on top of this truth. In fact, think about this. All miracles, all exorcisms, all healings, all statements of Jesus saying, you're forgiven of your sin, they are more or less statements of deliverance, aren't they? Whatever was destroying you, whatever was controlling you, whatever was enslaving you, you are now freed from it, Jesus says. And God delights in us knowing him in this way. Look at a couple of passages with me. Psalm 50, 15 says this, call on me in the day of trouble and I'll deliver you. Jeremiah 15, 21, I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked. I will redeem you from the grip of the terrible. Daniel 6, 16, this is a pagan God saying this, a pagan ruler. Your God whom you serve, he will deliver you. And then think of Jesus' words in Matthew. Do not lead us into temptation, but what? Deliver us. Knowing God as our great deliverer seems to be such an important part of our faith. And yet when it comes to deliverance, when it comes to finding freedom, when it comes to escaping the wave pool, so many of us look to other places except for God. We look everywhere but God. Psalm 33 says this, No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver you from its strength. Let me give you the Thomas version of this passage. No man is saved by the number of zeros in his retirement account. A rich or popular or successful woman, she is not freed by her influence. She's not uh, delivered by the number of her Twitter followers or her great connections, big muscles, a huge home security system. All the insurance in the world will not save you, will not free you, will not rescue you. God's the only one who can. 
God's the only one who can deliver us from the bondage, from the oppression, from the wave pool of death. And then here's why. He's the only one who's above and beyond all of those problems. I'd love to save you from whatever it is you're going through, but guess what? I'm trapped under the tubes too. I can't help you because I'm stuck and enslaved to things. So I need someone who's outside of the pool. I need someone who's above the tubes. I need someone who's not struggling with his own stuff to reach down and to help me get through my stuff. Does that make any sense? And our God's the only one who doesn't struggle with it. He's the only one above and beyond all other things. So he's got the time. He's got the ability. He's got the strength to pour all of himself into your problems because he's not having to deal with his own. One of the primary ways that we see and hear about this God is deliver is through the story of the Exodus. Many of us know this story, the great story of God calling his people out of 400 years of slavery and captivity. And it's interesting, God calls his people throughout the Old Testament, even in the New, to remember this one story more than all other stories combined. Retell this story, he says, recount this story, remember this story. Why? Because it speaks so powerfully to God as our deliverer. This is one of the most miraculous demonstrations of God's ability to deliver that the world has ever seen. I love the way Deuteronomy 5.15 says it. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Like my hero in the wave pool, God reaches down into the mess, into the chaos, into your death, and he raises you up. Dude, are you all right? Now, in order to rescue his people from the Egyptians, God did 10 miraculous signs and wonders. He proved that he was all-powerful, but he did something else. Most of us think that in the 10 plagues, God just haphazardly chose things. He's sitting up in the heavens thinking, how am I going to show the Egyptians that they no longer have control over my people? Flies. Why not? Everybody hates flies. Frogs could be kind of funny. I mean, frogs? What do you, Jesus, frog? Yeah, frogs. Okay, frogs, frogs. Water, blood, that could be kind of creepy, right? It's as if God just randomly chose things out of a hat. Nothing could be further from the truth. The ten plagues are ten specific statements of God saying, what was once controlling my people is no longer going to control my people. They are deliberate. They are purposeful. Whatever was robbing his people of life, God calls it out by name and says, no more. Let me show you some examples. The first plague given to the Egyptians was that of turning water into blood. And not just any water, but what? The Nile River. Interesting, because the Egyptians worshipped the Nile River. Here's a picture, actually, of the god they believed was the god of the Nile. Happy, or Hapi, is the Egyptian god of water. So God says directly to this little G God, you no longer have power over my people, Hapi. I am the Lord thy God. And he turns this God's water into blood. The second plague is that of frogs. Interesting, because another deity in Egypt, second most important deity, was named Heket. Here's a picture of her, or him, the Egyptian god of fertility. Interesting, God would choose frogs. Look at who Heket is. It's a frog. So God says directly to this little g-god, to this imposter god, you no longer have power and control over my people. The third plague is that of lice and gnats, little biting bugs. God changed the dust of the ground, it says, into these bugs. 
That plague deals directly with Gib. Here's a picture of Gib, the one on the bottom. The Egyptian god of the earth. Well, this god is quickly disposed of as that earth is turned into bugs. The fourth plague is that of flies. Funny, because here's a picture of the Egyptian god of rebirth. Let me see another picture. Interesting that God would choose flies, isn't it? Rebirth, creation. Oh, wait, Kefri, you have no power anymore. You want flies? I'll give you flies, God says. Or there's Hathor, couldn't protect the animals like she was supposed to. Isis didn't have any remedies for the boils that went on people, even though she was the god of medicine. Nuts, sky, started raining hail against her wishes. Ra's sun turned into darkness against his wishes. And the Lord of all, the Pharaoh, was powerless to keep his son alive. The ten plagues are God deliberately calling out the things that control and, and abuse his people, and he specifically frees them from them. Does that make any sense? See, he didn't just generically deliver his people. He didn't say even with a broad stroke. He said, that God is hurting you. That God is hoarding its power and lording its power over you. I'm going to free and rescue you from that God. And as the scripture says, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, he saved them from 10 specific things. Now, why would I bring all that up? It doesn't seem like many of us are dealing with guys that look like this. I don't care how mad at you, you're at your boss right now, right? My boss, ah. You might think your parents right now look like, oh, I hate you. We're not dealing probably with a frog-headed or a fly-headed God. But we're dealing with something. All of us are dealing with something. Every single one of us is dealing with, better yet consumed by, possibly enslaved to something. We're being held captive to something. And my fear is that we tend to talk about these somethings. We tend to discuss and share these problems and these struggles. Even here in church, we talk about our secrets in very generic ways, very safe ways. We say things like this, oh, well, we're all sinners. You know, no one's perfect. I'm kind of having a rough week. We talk about things that are destroying us, that are enslaving us, that are about to kill us as if they're no big deal, as if they're crumbs on our shirt. Yeah, I've got a major problem, but it's no big thing. I'm, I got it. These are gods that are trying to destroy your life. Sin is not safe, it's not universal, it's not threatening, it's not generic. And you cannot talk about it as if it is such. For one, sin wants to kill you. Sin wants to rip away the life that Jesus died to give you. If someone walked into my house and tried to steal my TV, if at night I heard my car alarm go off, I would go out and I'd fight against them. Maybe, I mean, I'm not gonna put up that much of a fight, but you get what I'm saying, that's my stuff. You're not taking what is mine. Someone's trying to take from you your life, abundant life, the best life, and most of us are just letting them do it. There's nothing generic about a man who's cheating on his wife, neglecting his kids, and spending money on things he doesn't need and can't afford. That's not safe, that's not generic. There's nothing neat or tidy about an addiction to alcohol or pain medications. That's not a rough week. That's a lot worse than that. 
There's nothing non-threatening about depression or suicide or abuse or apathy. There's nothing okay about pride or egotism or materialism. And yet we talk about it as if it's no big deal. It is a big deal. It's a really big deal. Sin is vicious and it wants to destroy you. And thus we got to call it out. We just have to call it out. We have to be honest and candid and speak it out by name, just like God did with the Egyptian gods. Heck it, no more. Isis, no more. Pharaoh, no more. By name, I call you out with great specificity, and I show you that I am superior to that thing. You see, saying sin is one thing. I kind of struggle with sin. Oh, yeah, join the club, moron. I know every single one of you struggles with sin. You come into my office and say, I got to tell you about a sin I'm struggling with. I knew that before you walked in the door. What I don't know is the name of the sin. I don't know the specifics of the sin. Chances are you don't either. See, saying sin is one thing, but if you said, I've got a sex addiction, I'm addicted to pornography, that changes the game completely, doesn't it? That goes from broad, generic sin to pretty specific, calling it out by name. Yeah, I'm having a rough week. That's one thing. Or how about you say instead, I've got a critical spirit and I complain about everything. Whoa. You just changed the game right there. Yeah, I could use your prayers this week, just wrestling with a few things. Generic Christianese over here. How about this? I'm an angry person and I barked at my kids and my wife this week in ways I wish I wouldn't have. You see, if you're generic over here, chances are you're going to be generic over here with God. If you haven't experienced a breakthrough with God, it's probably because you haven't come to terms with what's really going on over here. you got to call it out by name. you got to say with great specificity, this is what is destroying me. This is what is hurting me. And this is what it's called. That's why I think, as I was reading this week through the New Testament, there's all those lists of sins, right? The sexually immoral, the adulterous, the this, that, and the other. All these specific lists. Why would Paul get that specific? It's not an exhaustive list. It's like these are the outsiders and everybody else off the list is on the inside. No, no, it's just a list saying get specific. Put a name to what you are dealing with. Don't just call it sin, but call it out by name. And again, you're going to empower sin if you keep it on a generic level. But, but worse than that, you're going to offer yourself and God or others a God who is generic, just as generic as the sin. God saving you from sin is one thing. God saving you from a purposeless life that had no meaning is very different. God saving you from sin is one thing. God saving you from a low sex, no sex marriage that was about to end in divorce, that's another thing. God saving you from sin is one thing. Him saving you from a materialistic life, it's all about consumption and fear. That's something entirely different. The greatest testimonies out there are those where God entered into the depths of sin. And where people are super, it's not like, I was bad and now I'm good. I was lost, now I'm found. No, no, no. I was an arrogant, angry, selfish, sex-addicted fool. Then I met Jesus and now starting to live for others. I have some peace in my life. I'm realizing it's better to give than to take and I'm experiencing fullness of life. See how different that is. If you haven't experienced God in a powerful way over here recently, I think it's probably because you haven't come to terms with what's really going on over here recently. Generic here equals generic here. And here's the thing, church. What God did for his people in the Exodus, what God did for the Israelites thousands of years ago, he has done for us. 
I said the Exodus was one of the most powerful demonstrations of God's deliverance. Well, there is a greater demonstration of it. Because you see, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God delivered you. Just like my hero in the wave pool, just like the God of the Exodus, Jesus reached down into the yellow tubes to pull you out. And he went through this. God let his son go through this so you could be freed from whatever you're going through. All right, so what do we do with this? Here are my suggestions for this week. Here are my takeaways. I think it's important that each of us comes to terms with what is trying to destroy us. I think we need to name names. We need to name the sin and be as specific as we can about the little G gods that are trying to control us. Again, it's not going to come as a shock to me or your spouse or your kids or your boss that you're a sinner. It shouldn't come as a surprise to you either. And I want you to start naming names. I want you to get specific. Call it out, name it, write it down. What is trying to kill you? What is controlling you? What is crippling you? What is enslaving you? Then I want you to take it a step further. After you come to terms with it and name it, you've got to share it this week. You have got to say that name to somebody else. Find a trusted friend, find a, a colleague, your spouse, I'm not sure who it is. I challenge you, share your sin, share your struggle with somebody else. And on that, note, on that note, I do not want you to have to wait to do that. This morning, I have asked our Stephen ministers. We have 10 lay leaders, lay pastors who are trained in prayer and in offering care. They're going to make themselves available this morning. Rebecca and the crew is going to come up and sing another song. If you want to be prayed for this morning, if you want to just say, I'm drowning under the tubes, this morning is the moment to do that. Right now is the time that you need to do that. And so I want to make that, that opportunity available to you. They'll be up front. They'll be in the back. Even when the song ends and I pray us out, if you want to find them or find me or another minister, do that this morning. Don't leave this place without saying, I am drowning under this. Tell somebody this morning about it. And then finally, I'm going to ask that you will share the deliverance of God, the story of God's deliverance with someone else this week. Tell somebody in your life, Deuteronomy 5.15. That's your passage to memorize. We're staying in the Old Testament. Sorry, we'll get, we'll get to the new soon. Deuteronomy 5.15. Share with them the story of the Exodus. Share with them the story of the cross. Share with them the story of Thomas's wave pool. Share with them your story of deliverance. Come to terms with your sin. Name it out. Call it by name. Tell somebody the bad news. Tell somebody what's enslaving you, what's controlling you, what's hurting you. And then tell somebody the really good news, that God is able to free and rescue and deliver you from those things. Share with somebody this week that no matter how bleak it looks, no matter how trapped they feel, no matter how many yellow tubes are above them, there is a God who has a mighty hand and two outstretched arms, and he will deliver you from anything and everything. Would you share that with somebody this week? Let me pray that over us. I'll ask the band to come back up. I'll ask our Stephen ministers. They're going to have name tags on. Find them. 
pray with them. Confess to them this morning. Let's start experiencing some deliverance in this church so we can run fast and hard for and with God. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God who delivers. Lord, it'd be so easy for you to be mad at us. It'd be so easy for you to be frustrated and disappointed in us. It'd be easy for you to throw your hands up and say, good riddance, enough. You just don't get it, and I'm tired, and I'm sick of you. But Lord, nothing could be further from the truth. You are a God who enters into our mistakes, who enters into our pain. You are a God who says, I want to rescue and free you from all the mistakes you've made. I want to rescue and free you from the things that other people have done to you, the things that you're currently doing to yourself. I don't want you to feel like you're drowning in the wave pool anymore. God, many of us know that feeling. We look up, and all we see are the yellow tubes. And we're scared for our life. The sensation of this is going to destroy me. We know exactly what that feels like. God, this morning, would you reach down with your mighty hands and your outstretched arms, and would you rescue us? Would you deliver us from whatever it might be? Would we start to breathe again? Would you raise us up above the waters again? And God, would we this week, those of us who have experienced your deliverance, would we speak of it to other people? So many people, or like that book shows, are trapped. They're enslaved. They have secrets that are destroying them. We, God, have an opportunity to help them out. We can be the person in the wave pool to raise them back up. Would we be courageous this week and do that? We have kids who are drowning. We have friends who are drowning. We have neighbors who are drowning, coworkers who are drowning. Would we be courageous enough to ask them how they're really doing? And would we go one step further and tell them about a God who can deliver them from that? Please, God, make it so. Empower this church to be many deliverers this week. In Jesus' name, amen.